0: God, this morning as we gather together as the church, um, Lord, we are grateful that we have a building to be in, and Lord, we are grateful that we have your word printed in a book so that we can read it. No, no power required, Lord, we're we're thankful that all we need to know you, all we need to worship you is your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we gather together, even with the power out this morning in this room in the dark, that, Lord, we can still be encouraged by your word and that you would build up our faith and that, Lord, as a result of looking into your word this morning, that you would honestly build our joy, help us to walk out of here more in love with you. So, Lord, thank you for this time this morning, Lord. And I pray that as we jump into this new sermon series, that, Lord, you would reveal to all of us just how much we need your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the funny thing is that my uh, opening sermon illustration had to do with being in the dark. So it's, it's pretty funny. I was literally going to ask you, the first thing I was going to ask was, are are." As an adult, would you say you're afraid of the dark? So I, I, hope, I hope the answer is no to that. Um, but anyway, in thinking of darkness, uh, I was going to ask, you know, have you ever been caving before? And not just, like, walking around the Ray Caverns type of caving. I mean, like, actual legitimate caving. Uh, when I went to, when I was in college, there was, our college had a, uh, a major program, uh, called adventure education. And that was basically like your major was you would learn how to cave and go rafting and hiking and all this stuff. And that was what you studied. And so of course I had a bunch of buddies who were like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing uh, with my life. And so they got a major in adventure education. And so a bunch of them, my friends uh, had planned this trip to go caving and they invited me to come along. And so I agreed thinking that, okay, uh, What they mean by caving is we're going to go find a cavern like Luray, and we're going to walk around, and this will be fun. So we jumped into the car, and we drove about two hours north into central Pennsylvania, and we came to this massive field. We drove off the road, and we came to this massive field, and they parked the cars, and it's late at night, so it's dark outside. And uh, all of a sudden, um, as we're getting out of the cars, my buddies open the trunk to the cars, and they're pulling out gear. Right, so they're pulling out jumpsuits and helmets and lan- uh, lanterns that go on your head and repelling equipment. And so I'm like, hey, guys, so, yeah, what, where's the, number one, where's the cave? Because we're in this giant field. And two, what are we about to do? And so they said, hey, go look by that tree. There's this big tree in the middle of this field. So I went over next to this tree, and next to this tree is this hole in the ground, maybe like this big. And so we hook up a bunch of rappelling equipment to this hole. We get into our jump and our helmets and all this stuff. And we rappel down this hole about 100 feet. And then as we go down, it was the most remarkable thing in the world. We, it opens up into this cavern bigger than this room that we're in. And so it was crazy because I, I did not know this is what legitimate caving was. But we are in this cavern. And then we would kind of squeeze through these squeeze holes. Right, So we had these little tunnels that were just big enough so you're, it was just to fit your body, and you can like shimmy yourself through, and you would shimmy through like a 50-foot tunnel and open up to another cavern, right? So if you're claustrophobic, this would give you a heart attack, right? I'm not claustrophobic, and it was like my heart was racing. But my buddies had been in this cavern before. They had a map, and so I was a little comforted uh, by that. But we are going through, and... Um, We are deep. We are climbing through this thing for over an hour. And we come to this big cavern underground. We're in the belly of the earth. And, of course, we did what everyone would do at that moment, I think, is, hey, let's all turn our lamps off. (laughs) And so we all turn our lamps off. And that is perfect darkness. I mean, no light at all. I mean, no way. I mean, it's a kind of darkness that is constricting And it's a kind of darkness that makes your mind start wondering things, right? Like, if my light does not turn back on, there's no way I'm getting out of here. Like, I am stuck. There's no communicating to the outside world. We are deep into this thing, the maze that we went through to get to the cavern that we're in. We are not going to get out if my light does not turn back on. And so I think it's safe to say that all of us would be afraid of that kind of darkness, Because I was terrified in that moment. But here's the thing. It was so dark, I all of a sudden understood my absolute need for light. Uh, This is an illustration for what it is like to be a human being in a fallen world. Doesn't it seem like, despite all the ways in which we have advanced And our knowledge about the world that we still live our lives in the dark? Uh, Why are we here? What is our purpose? How do I achieve happiness in this life? Uh, Why do I always feel anxious? How do I avoid pain? Why do bad things happen? Why do some people hate others so passionately, right? These are questions that we really don't have a lot of answers to in the world. If you want to make good money, write a book. And advertise that you're answering some of these questions. People will buy your book. Because as humanity, we all have certain questions that we will pay money to get answers to. What is the exact diet I need to have to get the body I want? Right? Have you ever Googled that? Uh, What supplements do I need to take to have energy? Uh, How do I avoid cancer? How do I stop bad habits? How do I invest my money perfectly to get the... Right? Return, right? This is why Google is so powerful. They know all of the questions we're asking because we ask Google. But as human beings, we have an innate need for clear answers to our biggest questions. Yet we live in a world where the answers to these questions are beyond our grasp. It's almost like we're trying to navigate a deep underground cave in the dark. See, if my friends and I ended up in that cave without working lights, we would have some senses to try and make sense of our surroundings, right? We would have our sense of hearing that would help us communicate with one another. We would have our sense of touch. We'd be able to feel around the cave and maybe try to figure out our way around. We would have the ability to reason and and use logic to create systems of communication. But without light and the ability to use our sense of sight to see a map, it would be impossible to escape that cave, right? The maze of tunnels and squeeze holes was just too complex to navigate without a map. It would have been impossible, really, to escape, even if we had light, but no map. It was so complex. Although in the midst of the darkness, we could use some of our God-given senses to collect information about our surroundings... True clarity would be impossible without light. And in this life that we live today, God has given us the ability to observe the world around us. Practice science. Use our senses. Collect information and find answers to some of our questions. And that's a good thing and a right thing. But left only to these senses and methods, we just don't have the information we need to our biggest Questions as humanity. It may be the one thing that all of humanity refuses to admit the fact that we do not have the ability left to ourselves to know the answers to these questions without help. And maybe we don't want to admit that because we feared that we would lose the motivation to continue research, to continue to discover. All right, if we don't have the ability to have a full understanding of our existence without help, then what is the point of science and discovery? It's impossible to escape the cave without light, then why use our other senses to even try? Or maybe we don't want to admit that we need help because we don't want to give up that power. The power to decide what is true and good and what is not true and good whoever has the ability to decide what is true and good ultimately has supreme authority and that is not something we want to give up even though we don't have all the tools we need to truly determine what is actually true and good this morning even with the power out We're going to start a new sermon series that will take us through most of the summer. That will be an in-depth study on the doctrine of the Word of God. Because God, our Creator, and the One who holds the answers to all of our questions, has revealed Himself and the answers to our biggest questions in and through His written Word, which we believe to be the 66 books of the Bible. He has provided light in the darkness. And we're going to spend several weeks talking about what the Bible is and why it is necessary for us to have it because I believe that the written Word of God is, number one, the greatest need that humanity has. And yet at the same time, number two, it is our greatest fear. Because we don't want to give anything else the authority To tell us what is true and good. We want to keep that. It's like being in that cave and trying to feel our way around in the dark. Our greatest need is a light. But to accept the light would also mean to allow the light to expose the true way. And how we've been wrong the whole time. So we prefer being in control. But just staying in the dark. I think we actually see humanity's need for God's word and their consequences of rejecting God's word in the first chapters of the Bible. I want to read a little bit from Genesis 1. We'll put it up here. I'll just read it off here because that might be easier. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see God give his word, and then eventually we'll see humanity reject his word. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 30, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. All right. And so if we look at this text, what we're going to see here is, first of all, notice that God creates us by his word. So God's word is not just our greatest need, it is our very origin, is God's word. But as we continue to see what God says about our existence, is we see that God here gives us our purpose. God gives us instructions. Let's continue in the text here. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every, uh, is, that, is that right there? Every green plant for food. Let me go to my text here, just make sure here. Um, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant food. That is right. There you go. And it was so. And God saw everything that he has made, and behold, it was very Good. And what I want us to to see here is that in God's creation of us through his word, he also gives us our purpose. We were created to reflect the image and the glory of God and how we rule over and care for the rest of creation. That's where our joy is found. That's what our purpose is on the earth. If we continue in Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, so here we go. God continues to speak. God continues to give his word. And here what we see is God creates a boundary for mankind. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die do not eat of this particular tree there's the boundary that's god's word it is a command and if you eat of that tree there will be a consequence and that consequence will be death a concept that was completely foreign to adam and eve at that moment so at this point God has revealed himself to Adam and Eve. He has given them his word. And they have clarity on their purpose, their existence, and where their joy is found. Continue, look at chapter 2, verse 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice that when Adam and Eve were living under the command of God's word... That they were in a place where they never felt shame. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Look at what the serpent does first. He questions God's word. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And also notice here how Eve distorts God's word. God never commanded them not to touch it. We added that command on, right? But she distorts God's word here. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God lied to you in his word. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happens in this moment is Adam and Eve decide that what God has to say is not true and good. And they need to claim authority from God in making the decision of what is true and what is good. And at the end of our scripture that we read here in chapter three, what we see is the moment that they took that away from God for themselves. I'm not gonna trust what you say. I'm gonna trust what I say. We see shame. We see fear, hiding, covering up, Continue reading in the passage. You'll see blame all of a sudden enters the lives of Adam and Eve. The lights go out. They're in darkness now. They have questions now. They can't see clearly anymore. God is going to then ban them from the Garden of Eden. You can't be in my presence. If you're not going to accept my word is true and good, you cannot be in my presence. They rejected their greatest need. The word of God, our greatest need, but at the same time, our greatest fear, because we don't want to give anything else the authority to decide what is true and good for us. We want that. And so here's here's my goal for the morning. Here's what I want to convince us of as as we leave, that as God's creation, we do not determine what is true and good. We need special revelation from God to know what is true and good. And God is the one who controls what is true and good. And that special special revelation from God is his word given to us in the Bible. However, our need for this kind of special revelation from God should not deter us from things like science and using our Faculties and our logic and our abilities and our senses to discover the world and advance in knowledge and learn from history, special revelation from God should not deter us from that. God has revealed himself generally in the creation, right? It's good for us to go and research the creation. That's an act of worship to God. The Bible is not threatened by science, right? And our belief and reliance on the Bible should not deter science, right? Science will not make the word of God null. It hasn't in the past. It hasn't now, and it won't in the future. All right? But we must know our place. We are not God. We do not determine what is ultimately good and what is ultimately true. God controls that. He is the creator, and we trust, we surrender our lives to him and say, I'm going to trust what you say. We humbly give over to God the authority over what is true and good. And not only do we give him that authority, we actually say, God, you are Lord over what is true and good. All right, let me explain what I mean by that. All right, if I were to tell you that tacos are good, all right, what am I saying? I'm saying that a taco meets the external standard of good all right, that there's an external standard of good and bad, and I judge something according to that standard, right? Stake meets the standard of great, okay? You have these external standards. So when we say something like God is good, that's not what we're doing. We're not saying God meets the external standard of good that we as humanity have determined what is good and what is bad. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, no, God, you are Lord over what is good, You decide what is good. So when I say God is good, I'm not judging God on the external standard. I'm saying, God, you are the definition of good. There's nothing you can do that would not be good, even if I don't understand. God is good. And he's the standard. And as God's creation, we must recognize God as Lord over what is good and what is true. And if he is Lord over what is good and what is true, then his written word to us in the Bible must be accepted as our standard of what is good and what is true. Even when we read things that are hard for us to understand or hard for us to wrap our mind around, man, how can that be good, God? Or how can this be true? It doesn't mean we can't wrestle with it, but there's a sense of Putting ourselves underneath God's word and saying, I want to submit myself to you. Help me to understand what I'm reading. It goes back to knowing who we are and knowing who God is. We are His creation, literally created through His word. And God designed us with intelligence to explore this place and to have exercise dominion over it as He designed us to do. But without the light of God's word, we are left in the dark clawing at the walls of the side of a cave, searching for truth. In the A.D. 60s, the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to some churches in the Roman Empire who were under some fierce persecution for their faith. A kind of persecution we are blessed to not have to worry about in this time, in this context, in this nation. Uh, These people, if caught worshiping Jesus, would be violently tortured. That's the kind of persecution they were under. And Peter's writing a letter to them to encourage them. Keep on believing. Keep on following Jesus. All right? You can do this. Keep going. And if you're writing a letter to someone like that, to someone whose life is literally at stake, what do you say to them? Do you say, hey, don't worry, we're praying for you? Don't worry, God would never allow anything bad to happen to you. Well, the Apostle Peter was encouraging these persecuted, persecuted Christians with the hope of the gospel, right? That, that those who trust in Jesus are guaranteed everlasting life because although we've sinned in the same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden by rejecting God's word, God offers us forgiveness in and through his son Jesus. For all who will place their faith in that. Jesus, the son of God, he came, he died in our place on the cross, rose again from the dead, guaranteeing that we would rise again. And whoever trusts in the death and resurrection of Jesus will have this forgiveness of sins and will be saved. And Peter was reminding them of the promise that one day Jesus is going to return, execute justice, and bring all of his people into God's kingdom. So that's what Peter's encouraging these persecuted Christians with. And Peter is saying this, and you can put your lives on the line for the gospel because the gospel is true. This, this isn't just comforting religious speak. No, Peter is encouraging these persecuted Christians with the certainty of the word of God. With the fact that it's not the emperor of Rome who decides what's true and good, it is God. I want you to see what Peter says in this letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Peter says this, as he's encouraging them with the gospel, then he goes into this section, he says, for we did not follow, we as the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, hey, listen, we're not following some legend. This isn't a fairy tale. This is something that we were eyewitnesses to. Verse 17. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so what Peter's referring to here is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up this mountain, and then he revealed to them his divinity. He revealed to him that he was really God. And they were there for that experience, and that's what Peter's referring to. Peter's saying, listen, I saw with my own eyes the divinity of Jesus. I heard God the Father boom from heaven that that is my son. So he's saying, listen, I'm eyewitnesses to these things I'm encouraging you with. But keep going. Look at verse 19. It says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, the translation in verse 19 here can be a little tricky when we go from the Greek to the English uh, some see verse 19 here as saying that basically the prophetic word, the written down scriptures, are a more sure testimony to these truths about God. That basically those scriptures are a better testimony than actually having an eyewitness experience. Some others would translate this as saying that the scriptures are more confirmed by these types of eyewitnesses experience um, that Peter had. Regardless of the right translation, the point out of both remains the same. That is, the Bible that you have in your hands is just as sufficient and effective, maybe even more so, at communicating to us the word of God as it would have been walking with Jesus and witnessing all of his miracles. Right? What Peter is saying is this is just as good as being a disciple following Jesus personally when he was here in the flesh. I mean, let that sink in. It says the word of God written in the Bible is our light. It's a lamp shining in a dark place until Christ returns and he's fully with us. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, the no prophecy of scripture, right? Scripture, that Greek word there is graphe, which means written. He's talking about written words on paper. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit man is not the one who determined what is true and good and decided to put it on paper and sign god's name no god is lord over what is true and good he guided the human authors he inspired them to write these scriptures this special revelation Down on paper. And Peter encourages these churches with the truth of the return of Jesus. Because that truth has been revealed to us in this special revelation from God that we call the scriptures. And therefore, it's fully trustworthy even with your life. We need the Bible. It is our light in the darkness of this world. And that's why we're jumping into an eight-week series about the doctrine of the Word of God. And we're going to try and tackle as much as we can in this series. So I I hope you'll join us for the series. We're going to talk about what does it mean when we say the Bible is inerrant inerrant and completely without error. How is the Bible sufficient to guide us in every life circumstance? Uh, How did we get the Bible and who compiled it and who decided what Bible books go in and what Bible books didn't make it in? How do we get our translations? How does the Bible fit together as a unified story? How am I to read this? How do I study the Bible? What are let's let's look at some hard passages and let's see how those fit in this thing. All right, how does what does it look like to live our lives reliant on the Scriptures? We're going to try to tackle all of that through the series, and so I hope that you'll engage this series, and even if you miss it, uh, that you will listen on our. Uh, podcast. All right? I even have a little recording device right here, all right? So it's going to be on the podcast. So I hope you'll uh, jump on the podcast if you miss a week and really engage in this series because here's the deal. And here's why the enemy doesn't want me to preach this sermon today. I cannot think of a more crucial doctrine for us to be unapologetic about than this. In our culture today, it's popular and it's common for churches to begin to loosen their grip on this. To loosen their grip on the doctrine of the Word of God. Listen, the temptation to take back from God the authority to determine what is true and good, that's a strong temptation that all of us wrestle with. And in our sin, if we just take an inch from, of autonomy from God, That will lead us into a path of darkness and destruction and disbelief. And so as humans, we do not determine what is true and good. We need special revelation from God because God controls what is true and good. He is Lord. We sit underneath his word written down for us in the Bible. And at this church, we're not going to loosen our grip on this doctrine. We're just not going to do it. In fact, I, I mean, to be honest with you, we're a Congregationalist church. If I ever loosen my grip on this doctrine and I begin to preach in ways that make you question if God's word is true, get rid of me. Kick me out of here and put someone up here who will preach it boldly that God's word is true and we should not question it. The culture is going to go back and forth. They will attack any sort of notion that we as humans cannot control what is true and good. But the word of God has always endured. It will endure today and it's going to endure in the future. Let me pray for us. God, again, I'm grateful that we can still gather together and read and study your word together even even with the power out. And I pray, Lord, that in this time you would just continue to encourage our hearts that, Lord, you would build up our faith in your word. And Lord, I pray for this series that we're going to be in and that, Lord, you would use this series just to increase all of our confidence in the word. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you have loved us enough to give us your word. To write it down so that we can know you, Lord, we do not have to guess what you're like We do not have to guess what the gospel is. We do not have to guess why you created us. Lord, these are all things that you have revealed to us. So Lord, build our confidence in your word. And I pray, Lord, as we end our time now singing a song and being together, uh, that Lord, you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.